0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
1: Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton finance professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM channel 132. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. My guest is Ken Gaverty, who's the head of enterprise payments for KeyBank. Uh, sort of interesting topics. Please note, I am a registered representative of four-side fund services. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products, and the views of our guests are their own, and not those of Wizardships affiliates. Ken, maybe you could uh, start us off. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and what you do at KeyBank in sort of the enterprise payments world.
0: Sure. Well, thanks, uh, Jeremy, for having me. Uh, you know, KeyBank, for, for those who don't know, is one of the, the largest banks uh, across the country. We're about $180 billion in, in assets in total. Uh, we have customers in, in all 50 states. So we have about retail footprint in, in 15 states. Uh, but we really, on the business and the institutional side, serve uh, serve customers all the way from Maine to Alaska. So fairly large organization. And then my role, I run the, the payment side of Key. Uh, And the way that people should think about that is uh, whether you're paying with a credit card, a debit card, you're using a digital wallet, uh, or whether you're a business and you need to be able to take money from customers, pay your suppliers, all of that runs through payment rails. And uh, at KeyBank, we see about $4.5 trillion of payments that flow through those rails uh, every year. So, So quite a large business for us.
1: In terms of um, the different payment providers, uh, is there a way you would say you can differentiate what KeyBank does sort of differently, or how do KeyBank or how does uh, payment providers in general try to differentiate the services they they do? What's the what's the key competing angles?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, I'll, I'll answer that in a little bit of a roundabout way. So my my background was a little bit of a, uh, a strategy consulting, corporate development. Uh, and I came to KeyBank uh, in that role, and shortly thereafter, about a year, uh, year or so in, uh, there was a view that, in the, the payment side, we started to see this trend occurring in the marketplace. We saw this blip uh, in fintech investing. And you can see it pretty pronounced right between about 2013 to 2014. Uh, and so, as I was doing a little bit of investigation of that, uh, we had to do an outside-in view and spend a lot of time with the venture capital community to say, OK, look, you're, you're compiling pretty significant amounts of money, you're starting to invest in this FinTech or financial technology companies, what's what's the real investment thesis? Uh, It was pretty eye-opening for us. What the companies were focused on was around solving workflow problems as opposed to, uh, on the payment side, we were providing payment options, we were making sure that payment value could get from point A to point B. Uh, But these software companies were thinking about the context of that payment. What is an individual trying to do? I think the example that people use quite often is Uber. Uh, you know, the one side of Uber is, I was able to, to use GPS to find a vehicle to take me somewhere. But the other compelling part of that value proposition was, I no longer had to find cash in my pocket to, to be able to pay the cabbie and wait at the end of that uh, to make sure that, that transaction was occurring while the folks I was riding with were going on to the restaurant and doing whatever else. Uh, so, being able to embed a payment inside that context was, was incredibly important. And I think when you see that trend occurring more broadly across the marketplace today, you can't walk into a restaurant or a small business and not see, not see those types of companies being run by software today. So, historically, a bank would go in and say, look, we can give you a little bit of, of lending in order to help you get started. We can give you a bank account so that ultimately you can deposit whatever dollars you get uh, in a given day in our account. But the real problem that restaurant was trying to deal with was, okay, how do I do better table management to get people to the right place and help turn them as fast as possible? How do I get more consistent orders into the kitchen in an efficient way? How do I make sure I'm able to to allow my consumers to pay me in whatever way they want to pay me, whether that's through credit card, debit card, Venmo, PayPal? I just want to make sure I'm getting paid for my services and then how do I handle things like tips and others in a really efficient way? And so that, that sort of is old world of what banking was to now new world. We're starting to look at ways, how do we use software to power managing that business? And a payment is just embedded as part of that flow. So I think that that's the context of it, the way the key has differentiated themselves. You know, when we saw that trend occurring back in 2013, 2014, that really opened our eyes to widening out the solution set that we were trying to provide. So we've partnered with a number of fintech uh, companies in the ecosystem. We've invested in six, we've partnered with about 10. Uh, And we always start with what's the biggest pain point that we can solve for that customer? Are we the best builder of that capability? If yes, we're gonna build some of those software capabilities. If not, if there's a better mousetrap out there, how do we partner with companies like that to solve those problems?
1: You're just talking about restaurant examples. And I, I think one of the things I, I find personally, you know, when the restaurants now give you, when they give you the bill, you can just use your phone and take a screenshot to pay that to be such a better thing for everybody involved. Doesn't seem, it doesn't seem expensive yet. I don't think most restaurants have done a few that I've gone to have been doing that. And I think it's just such a better experience. Any, any uh, commentary on that?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's better for everybody in that example. And I, I loved hearing Mark talk about the productivity gains because we, we certainly see them in, in all parts of the ecosystem that we touch. And the example you gave is, is just one of them. Uh, when you think about the percentage of spend on the retail side that went through e-commerce in, in 2020, it was about 20%. That was a 33% increase. And so, uh, you know, what were big components of that? Well, it was things like all of a sudden we were ordering groceries, uh, you know, through our apps and getting them delivered. So you had an extraordinary amount of innovation there both in the supply chain in order for that to be delivered uh, intraday. But the fact that now the payment flows were very simply being embedded inside an experience where I could have an order developed, put that into my cart, I could pay for it with my cart on file. And not only was that easier for me, but now I have a built-in grocery list that I can just repeat over and over again and modify as I need to. So it's a better consumer experience. It's a better payment experience and it's a better supply chain. And not surprising then on the back end of that, cash transaction cash transactions in twenty twenty went down by about twenty five percent. And I don't think those consumer behaviors are gonna snap back.
1: Yeah, there's all this this commentary about like central bank digital currencies and do we are you know, do we need cash anymore? Is it you know it's gonna all go virtual? Um it, it, but it seems like we're going that way anyways it's just you know wh- whether it's a using you know your credit cards or, or other solutions like you're talking about any any commentary on, on that movement to to digital digital cash
0: yeah look i i think you're thinking about it the right way you know whether or not uh central bank digital currencies uh are required and over what time span is something that you know there's a lot of debate in the industry and i think it's going to take some time uh to really sort that through but in the meantime Exactly the the point that you were making. We're finding ways to to digitize commerce uh, in a lot of different ways. And the grocery example uh, is one of them, but I'll I'll take another example. You know, we look a lot of the the B2B side. And and if you were to walk into a dentist office, uh, you know, five, seven years ago, that was primarily a paper-based experience end to end. So I would come in, uh, I would ask to check in. Usually I've got to sign a couple of new papers, update my records they're hand-taking that, somebody might be typing that into a system. I'd ultimately go through whatever process I was there for in the dental procedure, maybe it's a cleaning. And on the back end of that, they would still ask me for a check. Uh, or, you know, some of them would have a terminal up where they, I could swipe a card. But that's a very inefficient process end-to-end. End. And so, I think a lot of the innovation that you've started to see is companies like that looking, again, for a workflow solution of, How do I digitally check in? How do I use an app to say, uh, you know, if I'm the the dental office, I want to send the SMS text reminder to the patient. Don't forget, you've got a 7.30 a.m. appointment tomorrow. That way I'm making sure I'm engaging the customer. Maybe they organized that or scheduled that three months ago. So I'm creating the reminder. I'm creating engagement. I'm making sure that you show up. When you come in, I ought to be able to automatically sign in in that moment. And then I ought to have card on file so that when I go through a procedure, if I want to pay for it as I'm walking out, no different than Uber, I should just be able to pay that way. Or if I want to 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 ultimately expand the service set, maybe I want to get a whitening or I want to schedule something for future, and maybe that's more expensive. I want a payment plan built into that. That whole experience, regardless of whether uh, I was using a, a the currency that we have today and it's sitting in my bank account, the process is digitized end-to-end. It's much more convenient for me, and it's a better outcome uh, for the dental office as well. And, and I see a lot more of that industry vertical by industry vertical. There's an extraordinary amount of innovation occurring in that space.
1: Now, now going digital uh, brings its own set of new challenges, like uh, cybersecurity-related challenges, which has been a very hot topic this year. Uh, anything you'd, you'd fo- set, focus on how you're tackling at KeyBank and how customers should be thinking about it?
0: Yeah. Look, th- this is the the number one threat to the financial services industry is is cybersecurity, and and all of us uh, that spend our our lives thinking about it every day know the the stats. Cyber attacks are up 29% so far in the first half of 2021, and ransomware in that same period is up 93%. So these are just extraordinary increases, and and why is that happening? Uh, you know, it's it's a multitude of factors, but the two macro ones that that I'd point to is, when you digitize, I mean, no different than the point I think you were making, the more that we digitize our lives and and allow for these better, more convenient experiences, the more access points that that we're providing for some of the bad actors in the system. So, that's a a natural downside or negative consequence of of the upside of the convenience that that we're building uh, in our economy these days. And so, And on top of that, the the bad actors are getting much more sophisticated, much more targeted in the places of of vulnerability. So, you know, our our advice, you know, is certainly it takes an entire ecosystem being educated. So as a consumer, you need to be educated on what the risks are. As a business leader, you need to be educated on what the risks are. Uh, And that's really important. There are a lot of places that you can get that information. Uh, You know, I'll use this as a bit of a plug moment to say that, you know, being Cybersecurity Month, uh, you know, of course, we've got a webinar. Uh, you know, KeyBank on October 26th that we'll be hosting at uh, key.com/cybersecurity uh, for those that are interested. And we bring in experts. Uh, we bring in private uh, companies that focus on cybersecurity. We bring in FBI experts uh, to really just make sure that we're staying on top of what are the most recent trends and how do you do the two things. Uh, particularly if you're a business owner, that you should be thinking about. One is educate your workforce. So you got to get yourself educated, and then you got to make sure that you're providing that education to your team, whether you're running a three-person company or a 3,000-person company. Education is where it starts, because all fraud starts with uh, the vulnerabilities inside the business, whether it's social engineering and getting you to click on a link in an email that Uh, that seemed fairly innocent, knowing what to look for, in those moments, that one click creates the opportunity for for a threat actor to be able to access your systems. Uh, So it's just incredibly important to know where those points of vulnerability are. And then the second thing is you gotta get a playbook. Uh, And that means knowing that uh, if you were to have an incident, what do you do? And if you're a small business, who do you call? You're calling your bank, who else are you calling in that moment? And if you're a larger company, is how do I make sure that I'm thinking about in my systems? How do I ring fence them? How do I diagnose what's been accessed? And I think those are all the things that you've got to make sure that you're uh, interacting with experts that know this space well and, and why we put on webinars uh, like we're doing at the end of the month, which are incredibly important for businesses.
1: Yeah, we uh, we do a lot of work with Teamate, which is an Israeli venture capital firm out in uh, focus on the cybersecurity space. Uh, if, if you don't know them, I'll have to we'll have to do some introductions later. But it's a very interesting topic on on cybersecurity and, and all the different experts that they they bring. Uh, we're, we're talking with Ken Gaverty, who's the head of enterprise payments at Keybank. Uh, Ken, one of the things you talked about in in, in how you're focused on the fintech solutions is sometimes you build, sometimes you buy uh, and, and sort of the, as I was just talking about teammate and the venture capital side, you know, you, you talk about the valuations in this space, anything as, as you're looking at opportunities, what, what you're seeing in the venture capital world and, and, and how you're thinking about the valuations.
0: Yeah. You know what, what I'd say, uh, well, first off, I was fortunate enough to be in uh, Charlotte this week uh, one of our fintech partners, a company called Avid Exchange, uh, had their listing day. NASDAQ came in and, and actually hosted the, the morning opening bell uh, from their headquarter office. Avid's been a huge partner of ours, so I was there for the event uh, nice. with CEO Mike Prager. Uh, but it's a, it's a great example. You know That company is trading at about a, a $5 billion valuation today. It's a great example of why these types of companies – uh, are so valuable in the marketplace because of the the sticky recurring nature uh, that's created inside the solutions that that they provide. So the the example I take with Avid is you know again if you're think if you're a mid-market company and and you're paying your suppliers historically about 50% of those payments were still being made by check last year which for a lot of us in our consumer world who who don't use the check at all that's a mind boggling stat that 50% of, of middle market payments would still be made that way. And so, what AVID did uh, with this workflow mentality was say, look, there's, there's a reason why checks are still being used. And it's these processes that were built 20, 25 years ago. And they just, the back office operations really haven't been looked at in a way where you're solving the primary pain point for a treasurer or CFO. So, they started back to say, okay, First, we got to figure out how we get purchase orders inside a company. How do we get them digitized? How do we make them really easy so that all different people in my organization—I don't have 25 different office supply providers because I have different locations and everyone's using, uh, you know, their own local partner. How do I centralize that? How do I put some governance around that process? So, you know, that that clearly is the type of situation where you're looking for software. But then there's an approval process inside the company, and historically, and in a lot of companies still. That approval process was routing uh, an invoice for signatures across uh, an organization. I I can't tell you how many companies I still walk into that have a process like that. Even if they have uh, an invoicing center where it's emailed, uh, it all comes into a central place, they'll print it out, they'll route it to a bunch of different departments and everybody is signing off to make sure that that it's okay for that payment. Uh, What AVID did was say, no, no, clearly this is a simple hierarchy that can be built We're going to work with you as a customer so that it's digitally routed. You'll get a ping on your cell phone. You'll be able to one-click, yes, I approve that. And at the end of that is a payment. And frankly, a CFO doesn't care what type of payment is made, whether it's a check, ACH, a card payment, whatever is next in, in the payment ecosystem. All they care is that my supplier got paid on time in the most economically beneficial manner, And so when you think about that whole process I described end to end, if I can solve that for you as a software provider, when I solve that, I make it easy, I provide productivity gains for you, and I start giving you much more visibility into the analytics of what you're spending money on and how to make it more efficient, now I've made that really sticky uh, because it's gonna be really hard for you to replace that. I'm a core part of how you operate your business, and when I can get sticky recurring revenue like that, the valuations that are occurring in this space, you know, Avid Exchange is now trading around 15 to 16 times uh, the revenue that they reported. And similarly, companies like that that focus on smaller companies, Bill.com, another partner of ours, they trade north of that, they're around 30 times revenue. Coupa, another one in the space, they, they are more of an enterprise solution and, and work with uh, larger companies. They're also trading north of 30 times. So, the market is highly valuing solutions like this because they're solving real problems with antiquated solutions that are existing in a lot of these companies today, and they're doing it in a way where it's going to be hard to replace.
1: As you think about um, the, the sort of cost reductions that you can provide people, I, I was looking at one of the videos you yeah. guys had online about the enterprise payments, you know, cost reductions. Uh, sort of final closing thoughts, how do you think about that cost reduction you can provide people uh, if they do get to these more efficient uh, payments platforms?
0: yeah it all depends on uh, you know the size of your business and and ultimately uh, you know the starting point. so so where where are you in your your journey around digitization? But the way I generally like to think about it is if you're paying somebody with a check today, it, it's ballpark costing you about six dollars. Uh, and the reason for that, about half of that is hard cost because there's the the cost, the actual check itself, the paper that it's printed on, there's a clearing cost associated with that. There's a uh, an envelope and a stamp, and so all of that paper-based part of the process is a hard cash cost that you're paying for. And then there's the soft cost of all the people that are routing that. So when you can digitize just that part of the process alone, you can usually cut that in half, both the soft cost and the hard cost. So those are real savings. Uh, and while that's usually you know music to the ears of the CFO. I would say longer term, the bigger benefit is going to be around the intelligence that you get from workflows like that. We've talked about the payable side, but when you solve that on the receivable side as well, you're getting a lot of data that is rich about your end customer engagement. And how you utilize that data is going to be how you propel the solutions of the future for your business.
1: Yeah, the, the, the data is the new oil, I think is true everywhere. And you need to be able to I see it personally on, all, on, all, on my personal level, a network level. Anything you get into a dashboard, it's much better. Thanks for joining us, Ken Gaverty, uh, head of enterprise payments at KeyBank. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. You've been listening to Behind the Markets and Series 132. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com.